The following message is from the 2014 IBCD Summer Institute, Making Peace with the Past. Uh, come and taught us this far. We're going to very soon. And so Brian is already up here, but I want to invite uh, Jim Neuheiser, Steve Viers, Ernie Baker, and George Scipioni. They're all coming. There they are. All right, come on up, guys. Grab a seat. Uh, let's see here. One, two, three, four. All right, I'll sit on the stool. How about that? I get to be in the stool. I can say this because I'm by far the youngest person up here on the stage, but there's over a century's worth of counseling experience uh, coming up here right now. And when you have uh, a group of individuals like this who come and can share with us uh, such wonderful biblical knowledge and insight, especially in the realm of biblical counseling, uh, we want to take advantage of that and be able to hear in a little bit more of an informal setting some of the things that God has uh, shown these men, some of the things that they have learned over uh, their time in uh, pastoral ministry and in biblical uh, counseling. So to each one of you, thank you so much for being willing to uh, come up and to share what it is that the Lord has uh, laid upon um, your heart. Um, there's a, just a number of questions that we're going to be uh, asking them, and uh, sometimes I'll maybe ask you guys specifically to address one of them because it was either part of your topic or maybe you're going to speak in it or already spoken it, so I'm going to say don't talk. Is that okay? Is that, is that acceptable? Um, <laughs> all the time. But uh, let me begin by asking uh, this question. Uh, I only half joke it about this, but literally... Uh, between all of you, um, there are years and years of experience here. And for those that um, are engaged in biblical counseling, I know that you men have, would all acknowledge, and, and you've even done that in some of your sessions, just the, the growth that the Lord has done in your own lives, things that you've learned, and you're trying to impart that to us. But I'm just wondering, from your own personal experience, is there maybe um, one or two things that you wished um, you had known when you first started out in biblical counseling that, that God has enabled you to know now. So what is it maybe that you know now that you wish somebody had spoken to you early on in your biblical counseling um, that, that you'd like to disseminate to us so that we can learn those things now rather than uh, potentially later on? And this is open for, for any one of you that would like to go first. Well, I'll take a shot at that one. Um, and I want to be careful because this could uh, get off in the weeds pretty quickly. But, um, and I'm not saying I didn't know this in any way, shape, or form when I started. But I, I guess the older I get, the more I'm convinced that what's happening in that counseling room um, has less to do with me, my experience, my wisdom, my abilities, blah, 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 and more to do with what the Holy Spirit of God is seeking to do in and through his word, um, magnifying the sun, etc. And so I, I guess I'm more relaxed in counseling these days. And I, I think that's because of just a reliance on the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, now obviously, we're for training. I mean, we're, we have a, we're at a training conference. We're, we're for training. I, I believe in that, etc. But um, I think early on, uh, in the training that I received, there was a lot, one of the buzzwords in that day was forming a conceptualization, meaning you had to diagnose the problem exactly right and blah, blah, blah. And I think I labored a lot under, am I getting this all right, et cetera, et cetera. And um, here's the answer. You're never going to get it all right. And, and if God had to wait until you got it all right before he could use you, he'd be waiting a long time. And... Um, 
and, and, and how many training sessions did the woman at the well have to receive before she was impacting her entire town? And so I, I'm, not, I'm not arguing for mediocrity. I'm not arguing for being sloppy. But I, I think maybe there would be more joy in this if we just relaxed and trusted the Lord as counselors as much as we're asking our counselees to trust the Lord. That's good. Thank you, Steve. Anybody else want to contribute to that? Uh, I wish that early on the importance of relationship would have been emphasized more because it was more about mechanics and um, etc. Just diagnosing the issue and understanding, like Steve was just saying, the conceptualization of what's going on in the problem. But I didn't understand how important a loving relationship was with the counselee and how much loving one another is emphasized in the New Testament. So that's one thing that I have, um, an area where I think I've really grown and need to grow more is uh, the importance of building loving relationships with counselees. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that, appreciate that. So what you're saying and what I'm getting is that you guys didn't have it all down perfectly in the beginning. Yeah, yeah there you go, okay. Still <laughs> Jim, you were going to say something. What I wish I understood better 20, 30 years ago was how much Christians desperately need the gospel, even though intellectually they can explain justification by faith. They've not made a connection between that and what brought them there and how central that is in the counseling. It, it's the motivation and the empowerment for doing the imperative, but so many Christians... The, you, the problem you'll get in, this person doesn't get how the gospel changes their life, and telling them to do a bunch of stuff isn't going to fix it unless they get that part. Let me jump off of that question just a little bit. It's a little bit different way of saying that, but um, all of you have been involved in some way, shape, or form in, uh, in training counselors and in encouraging them, and sometimes when people um, start engaging in biblical counseling, uh, I think that there are maybe potentially some errors that we can easily slip into. And so I'm just wondering, um, are there uh, any cautions that you give to people as they begin biblical counseling, some things that uh, you can kind of slip into uh, that can potentially be um, unhelpful uh, or unproductive uh, in counseling uh, those who have needs? Brian, I saw you nodding your head while I was asking the question, so I'm just curious. <laughs> Well, I think that one of the things that you have to realize is that just because somebody comes to you, it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to help them. Um, early on, there's always a sense of, you know what, I did this, I read that, I was, am prepared to do this, and if the person comes to me, I can help them. And the fact is, is that just because somebody comes to you doesn't mean that they actually want to change. And you begin to realize that you're, you know, you're not a magician and they think that maybe you are and you're just an ordinary person too. And so I would say that as people are starting out, just realize that um, although it is gloriously true that sometimes we're the last person in line when people are trying to change 
that there are going to be times where our only standard of success will be measured by whether or not we loved them and spoke God's word to them and tried our best to help them by God's grace. I want to uh, add on to that a little bit. Brian, you mentioned uh, as you were teaching the fact that one of the things when it specifically um, comes to people's past and trying to counsel people with their past, that uh, one of the errors that we can do is kind of use the sovereignty of God as, as a club uh, in one sense and not be gentle with them. But maybe taking this question in that direction, since the theme of this conference is making peace with the past, um, are there any errors that we should avoid when we're trying to help people work through their past? Um, specifically, you mentioned, you know, using sovereignty kind of as a club, not coming at that gently. But are there any other errors that we could make as we try and help people work through um, their past? Well, going back to the love one another, doesn't that um, dictate that I'm very patient with this person rather than pushing too hard? So maybe one of the errors that we could we need to avoid is, okay, you're seeing biblical truth, you should just know it and practice it, rather than this is a process of this person having to really work through painful issues. So the mistake to avoid would be being impatient with people as they're working through excruciating issues in their life. Any others? Jim, you're smirking at the end. What do you? <laughs> He's the only one who hasn't spoken. So I know. I'm him. just kind of. I have a whole uh, hour tomorrow. Well, I, I have down here in my notes, George. I know you're going to talk about some of this. Give, give us a foretaste of what. A, it, a foretaste. Uh, it's the Scipione teaching method. Here's how I screwed up for the first five years. Avoid this. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and it works. <laughs> I think. I think the biggest mistake. And it goes back to what Steve was saying. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not God. We don't fix people. We're there to honor God and love these people, wash their feet, and uh, try to dodge if they kick us in the teeth and not complain about it. It's, it's, it's <clears throat> I'm older than Steve. It's hard to believe, but <clears throat> I am older than Steve. <clears throat> but um, that's because he's packed so much into his life. Mm. by God's grace uh, the older I get the more I realize just what Brian said, this is the sovereignty of God mm. and uh, the best thing I can do for those people is to be humble mm. and point them away from myself to the triune living God mm. <clears throat> if I've done that if he increases and I decrease mm. I've done my job mm. Amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. thank you for that George um, on a little bit more of a, uh, of a personal level because uh, you all up here are flesh and blood and I know you go through um, the same struggles that we all uh, do but in particular uh, I'm this, I don't know which one of you is actually going to want to answer this question but I'm going to ask it anyway uh, how are you prone to struggle in regards to events from your past and how does the gospel help you in your struggle so I'm going to piggyback off of what Jim had said there about people needing the gospel, but I'm just wondering if, if there's anything from your past that you'd even say, you know what, yeah, I, I struggle with this, but this is how God has helped me with 
and through the gospel, through Christ, to, uh, to address those things in a right way. I'll, I'll jump in on this one because <clears throat> uh, when I was in seminary from 1990 to 93, I, I, I was a, a bad husband. I neglected my wife for the sake of good grades. And it was an absolutely miserable time in my life. And it was actually a, um, a sermon by a mutual friend of ours, Art Azurdia, on, on marriage that brought me to my knees and to repentance. And God has, um, God's given me such a, a, a wonderful wife. And even to this day, 20 plus years later, it still brings anguish to my heart to know what I put her through. So just as a reminder, pain from the past doesn't necessarily just go away because you believe the gospel. Right? And so when I think about that and the way that God used it, I think that God has helped me be more compassionate in helping people with marriage struggles because it's kind of easy as a counselor to beat up on the guy. I mean, and it's fun. Um, <laughs> but, um, but when you realize how badly, when I realize how badly I blew it in the past and how deeply I sinned against my wife, uh, it gives me a heart to want to help people that are struggling in marriage. Thank you, Brian. They're all so eager to answer this question. <laughs> Can't beat that. <laughs> I, I want to build off of that. If, if any of you want to come, come back to it. Um, George, I know that you are going to speak on this a, a little bit uh, later, but um, this is open for everybody. But again, I want to go maybe back to you on this question, and that is um, as you look at what the Lord has brought you through um, in your past and the experiences that, that you've had just as uh, a counselor, how would you encourage others that um, you know are just starting out that know that at some point we're not going to be perfect in how we counsel people, that, that we that we might blow, what, what's a word of, an, of encouragement or something from your past to say, you know what, I've had counseling situations go really, really well and some go sideways. And, and so what, what hope is there for us when that happens, when things don't work out in counseling like we hope they would? Uh, you not only don't waste the grace of God, you don't waste your sin in the sense that uh, <clears throat> one thing uh, you have to do is to be very quick to model forgiveness by asking for it. I've had to just bluntly say to someone, you know, you came in here last week, I think you were looking for a fight. I was all too glad to give it to you. The sad truth is I told you the, I told you the truth, but I didn't tell you in a godly way. Will you please forgive me? That goes a long way. And then the other thing is uh, you, you got to do it gently and wisely. You don't say, oh, you know, kids, you don't say to your youth group, oh, I struggled with pornography when I was a kid master, but you don't tell kids that. But a guy who's sitting there going, I can't win the victory, you can look at him and go, that's not true. 
I've been there. I have the ugly sin tattoos. God was gracious to me. And I'll give you the reference of 10 other guys that God's brought through this. So you can't say that the grace of God can't reach you. So in that sense, what I mean, you've got to be very circumspect in terms of what you use and what you don't use. But, but even your own sins, I think that's been one of the most powerful things where I just lay it on the table and say, look, I've been guilty of that. I'm not saying this is the only way. This is how God got me out of it. You know, it's available to you. I've got other guys that know this too. So uh, that humility, Christ didn't have that. He had no sin. But the rest of us, we're like little Peters. You know, <clears throat> our scriptures, you know, all over. I mean, how would you like to be David or Bathsheba? Oh, hey, David, Bathsheba, I know you guys. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to have Psalm 51 taken out of my Bible if I was David. But the bottom line is, Name one generation of believer that hasn't benefited from Psalm 51. We would never want that expunged from the Bible. So, what have you add to that? Experiences that you've had from your from your past that uh, that would give us kind of uh, hope and encouragement of how to handle situations when when we didn't maybe handle it handle it right or it didn't turn out the way that we hoped. Well, um, what I've noticed over the years is that our counseling day is Monday, and rarely do I walk out to my car at the end of the counseling day saying that every one of our counseling sessions went well from the perspective of every one of my counselees is doing well. On the other hand, rarely is it that I walk out saying every one of my um, counselees is doing poorly. It's almost always a mixed bag. It's almost always a mixed bag. And I decided somewhere along the line or learned somewhere along the line that I cannot let my joy or my satisfaction be in the performance of my counselees, um, the success or failure of my counselees. My, my joy and satisfaction had to be in the fact that I was a child of God um, and he was choosing to view me through the imputed righteousness of his son, and that was good every day, regardless of how my counselees were doing. And there was also just the issue of, if I could honestly say before him, Lord, I tried to serve you today. I tried to serve you in one case, and it seemed to go well. I tried to serve you the next hour, and it blew up, but I was trying to serve you. So thank you for, so I'm gonna find my joy, not in, are my counselees doing well, I'm going to find my joy in who I am on the account books of heaven and the privilege that I had to try to serve uh, my Lord that day. And that's enough. That's enough. With the size of the group that we have here, there's got to be at least probably one person or more that feels like, you know what, I'm taking all of this in. I'm hearing everything that's being said, but um, I'm messed up. My past is, is messed up. I'm I'm damaged. This is good for me, but I don't know that I can really uh, help anybody else with that. For the person who is here, and it's kind of building off of what you said, though, I think, Steve, what would you say to that person who's sitting here listening to you and saying, I just, I just don't know that I could ever give the counsel that you've given because I, I know you're saying make peace with your past, but, but I'm damaged. I, I'm, I, I had problems, and I don't know that where I go from here. What would you say to that person? I tell them, get Paul Tripp's book. And read, you know, that God uses sinful people that are struggling to help other struggling people. And tell them my worst days, I think, Lord, there had to be a better way than the church. You know, your reputation's on this sorry lot, us. That's, but that's the way God chose to do it. 
and uh, say that's exactly what Tripp tries to lay out in the book, is that uh, it's sinners who are failing that are helping other sinners, and that's God's chosen way. I also don't think that every Christian is called to be in a counseling office like Steve is or others of us are, dealing with the hardest cases, if you imagine that's where it goes. And the whole movement began with Romans 15, 14, where, you know, concerning you, you're full of goodness, full of knowledge, able to admonish one another. And many of us have said, everybody's a counselor. You have friends, you have family. And so you don't have to be certified and doing this as your main ministry in life to benefit from learning how to help people from the Word of God. And you're either going to mess them up or you're going to help them in the relationships you already have. And if God continues to use you, it can expand. But every single believer, according to the Bible, is called to do this at that level. No matter what their background is. Yeah, I mentioned in one of the workshops that I was doing earlier that, um, you know, our, our paradigm is on Mondays our counseling center is for our community. So we're not working with people from our church on Mondays. That's counseling that's being made available by 24 of our counselors for people in our community. Well, what that means is for a pastor, we wake up Tuesday morning um, dead tired and one day behind, and we've got to figure out how we're going to do the rest of our pastoral work. But the question that came up at lunchtime was, well, then how much time do your pastoral staff members spend the rest of the week working with people inside the church? And um, the, the answer to that question sometimes surprises people because we have about 2,000 persons in our church. And so some would say, man, you must be just going constantly the rest of the week counseling people inside the church. Yet if you lined up every one of our pastoral staff members and asked them that question, they would say, well, um, I spend about two to four hours a week working with people inside the church. And so then you say, well, how in the world Who's doing the rest of the counseling inside the church body? And the answer is godly lay people at all sorts of different walks of life in all sorts of different settings that the counseling is being done primarily by godly lay people in the church. We're all messed up. For crying out loud, compared to the holiness of God, we are all um, hot messes. And so it's not a matter of, well, I am, but you're not. No, we all are. And I don't want to minimize that, by the way, but I'm just simply saying that um, God uses laypersons many times in the body life of the church. In fact, people in our church do not want me to counsel them for the same reason they don't want me to visit them in the hospital. Because if I visit them in the hospital, they're dying. Um, <laughs> I am the pastoral grim reaper. That's the, you know, not you, anybody but you. And, and it's not because I'm too good to do that. I'm just, my job is not to do the work of the ministry. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so I'm only going to work in those situations that are hardest. The same is true for counseling. People don't want me to counsel them because if I'm the one counseling them, that means they're one step away from church discipline. And so, um, and, and one other thing about that, if you're in a situation where you feel like, you know, I've got a lot of things that I have struggled with or I'm just coming out of, don't underestimate how the Holy Spirit can use you now. And you will be an incredible blessing to your pastor. I could not be here today were it not for godly men and godly women, many of them lay men and lay women 
who are functioning in incredible, incredibly powerful ways in the church body right now. And that then frees me up to do some of these other kind of things. And I am forever indebted to godly lay people like that. In fact, I've got so many at this point in the process. I have a number of people. I wouldn't trade them as a lay person for another staff member. They're that effective in ministry. So please don't sell yourself short for how God could use you and how God could use you right now. I think that we need to understand that for a person to say, uh, I'm too damaged for God to use me, that's just a lie from the devil. Uh, I mean, the gospel is so powerful. God is a redeeming God. You talk about damage. The apostle Paul was damaged, and he ends up being a, a model for God to use uh, in his mercy and his grace. And so we need to encourage people that, that none of their sins and none of their pain in the past is lost with a God who loves them. And if, if we can get people to actually see that grace really is greater than all their sin, then they can be very, very useful in, in the church and God's kingdom. Praise the Lord for that. Last, last question, and it, and it comes right from this. We're at a conference like this looking to be equipped. A lot of information that, that comes our way. Um, what piece of advice, what, what counsel would you give practically as we walk away from a conference like this? What should we be looking to do? What should we try and take away? Um, you've all been part of conferences like this in the, in the past. What encouragement would you give us on that end to say, you know what, as you go away from this conference, here's something practically that I'd encourage you to do, to think about, to, to pursue. Well, it's very simple, but... <clears throat> actually put some of the stuff into practice um, you know you can come and just sit and listen academically and hear information and I've been doing education long enough to know that sitting in a classroom is a lot different than actually learning material so the way you learn it is by test driving it uh, take some of the principles and make yourself use them and then you actually you actually learn it and you see it works. And that gives you confidence then in the Word of God and the power of the Spirit to change lives when you see people actually changing uh, because you took the risk of saying, okay, I'm going to see if this actually works. Yeah, if I could, um, I was going to say the exact same thing that Ernie just said. Um, use it. Use it like right now. Use it today. And something that I've observed over the years is um, it is amazing how frequently... God gives a young, budding counselor an um, amazingly successful first case. I have seen that happen so many times in my pastoral ministry where, where you know, goofball guy who, who just, just was just trained, and we give him his first case, and it's just miraculous. I mean, the people are saved. They're, they're growing like weeds. They're called the missions in uh, Ivory Coast. And I say as a pastor, tongue-in-cheek, if I knew that that case was going to go that well, I would have taken it myself. <laughs> and um, obviously I'm um, exaggerating because my, my point is I, I think that's part of just the grace of God. And I'm not saying it happens every time, but it's happened enough that, that I'm convinced that many times God gives you um, a case early in your career that just whets your appetite for the joy and the thrill of being an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. And so I, I would encourage you, 
Don't say, okay, after I read four more books and after I attend five more this, then I'm going to start. Just get started. It, when it's all said and done, there's often more said than done. So, so let's get at the doing thing. And if I were in your shoes, I would go back to my local church and I would say to my pastor, is there a way that we, and you don't even have to call it counseling if you don't want to. Is there someone that we could mentor? Is there someone we could come alongside and help? Is there someone we could be a spiritual friend to, et cetera, et cetera? And as I said earlier, you're going to be a great, great blessing to your pastor. But as you test drive some of these things, well, if it really is the word of God, it's going to work. And it's going to work a lot. And all of a sudden, you're, you're just going to be hooked. Some of us are hooked because there's nothing more thrilling than, than seeing people come to Christ in counseling. There's nothing more thrilling than being able to actually be part of someone changing and growing in dramatic ways. There's nothing more thrilling than going through the store and having former counselees come up to you, just hug the fire out of you right there in the banana aisle, and, and, just, and, and just, just all of that. And, and that's what it's like. And, um, and you, but you gotta start. You gotta start in order to get to that place. I'd encourage also a lot of prayer, um, just that God would give you the grace and he would guide you. Uh, I'll say that tomorrow, but I think uh, as much as we talk about the sovereignty of God, it really comes down to prayer. If, uh, if it really is dependent on him, then we have to humble ourselves, seek his face, and he's promised to take us and guide us where he wants us to go. A lot of you have come with other people, and I would just say take time at the end of the, of the day or on your ride home to talk about the things that you learn and share it with each other because a lot of times when we articulate things back to someone else, it kind of helps it stick better. And, in, and it can also be a great time of Christian fellowship and edification mm -hmm. just talking about the stuff that you learned and keep your notebooks handy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, one, one more, uh, give to help I, IVCD. <laughs> Since I'm not involved anymore, I can say it. Those would never let me give those pleas. But uh, pray for and support this ministry uh, and keep it going as, as, a, as a resource for other people. Mm, that's great. I'll mention a couple of things. One would be, I find it helpful after taking in so much, and it can be overwhelming, just at the end of the day or the end of the whole conference, Write down three to five things were the most important things you took away. And those can be the things you focus on instead of trying to remember 150 things you got out of it. And there may be one thing one guy said that really got you. And so I've already had a couple of those. Uh, another thing I would encourage you, which is kind of along the lines of putting into practice, for some of you to think about, okay, if you really want to know you've got this, like when you were in school, you audit a class, you listen, you go away, you don't remember much. When do you learn? It's when you do the work. And the reason why ACBC has what you know, was NAIC certification is you keep studying, but then you have to reflect back what you've learned and you're getting feedback. Our care and discipleship certificates are kind of easier, more basic levels to the same thing. But to seriously consider, okay, I want to do the study, do the work, read the books, take the tests, and then engage with my local church, share with my leadership what I've learned. Uh, that's what really we've designed that for, that you could carry it on and then reflect back and even need to be, be corrected on the things you didn't understand so that you can be useful. That's wonderful, wonderful. 
Well, thank you, men, for taking the time to uh, share with us and for uh, your talks thus far. Can uh, we give them just a round of applause and appreciation for their ministry to us? Copyright 2014, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.